report on this computer. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are entering into episode four of our podcast series, Reflections on Race in the, sorry, not post-COVID. We're not post-COVID yet in the COVID-19 era. Uh, Today's episode is a very, very special episode. I am joined by my podcast partner, Barbara McKay. Say hi, Barb. It would help if I hadn't muted, but yes, hello. (laughs) (laughs) And we have a very, very special guest, Stacey Gibson. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you here, and I'm going to have Barb say a few words. So before we dive into today's topic and share a little bit, I'm going to pass it over to Barb to say hi and do a little intro to Stacey and then pass the mic to Stacey. Um, But you were going to say something about what we're going to talk about today. Well, I was going to do that after. After oh, okay. We have okay. Introductions. Uh-huh. We know who's here, and then I'll talk, and then I will reveal the topic for today. Reveal the topic. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited to reveal the topic. Um, and I will reveal our co-guest uh, today, our co-podcaster, uh, Stacey Gibson, who I don't know very well, but I already love in a certain beautiful mm. way, just, just uh, the resonance of your language. She's an incredible writer, incredible educator. Um, she's one of our top colleagues and I was introduced to her by another top colleague, Judy Weddle and met her in person in Portland, but Stacy's mm-hmm. currently living in Chicago. Yes. So, um, we invited Stacy because of her deep interest in race dialogues and the concept of race and her incredible authorship on many, many topics related to race and uh, race and relationship in particular. So Stacy, um, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about yourself. Gladly. Um, thank you both, Rangane. Thank you, Barbara. Um, and thank you for, um, you know, whomever it was in our lineage who said you three need to get together. Um, I always am mindful that um, when I land in places, it's not just happenstance. Um, so I'm glad that, that we heard the message. Um, hello to everybody. Um, I'm hoping and wishing wellness onto all of us collectively. Um, I'm very glad to be here. I'm out of Chicago, um, the Chicago area, actually. Uh, And uh, my name is Stacey Gibson. Um, I am a mother to a daughter, Salome, and a daughter of Pansy and uh, Harold. And I usually try to say all of that because um, the idea of kind of going at this life thing in a kind of single first tense, you know, present tense, I am, I am, uh, at a time when we really need each other. Uh, Usually when I introduce myself, I try to introduce, you know, the pod uh, in which I sit. So um, I'm really happy to be here uh, on the podcast. I've been listening to the previous episodes um, and loving uh, your willingness to go into this imperfect place, uh, not feeling obligated to be perfect. Um, I am an educator by day. That's what uh, pays the bills. Um, And I also have been doing much more facilitation over the last eight or nine years. Um, And I am really interested in uh, living well, uh, you know, aligning with deep truths. And when it comes to race, um, I sit in a little different position. I'm looking at some of the unspoken patterns that are happening with race. And uh, I believe they are worth our investment uh, so that we don't keep repeating them. So I'm very glad to be here. Mm. Excited about the topic that Rangane is going to reveal very soon. Um, And off we go. We are in flight and we're glad you're with us. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for all of that, Stacey, and definitely appreciating the speaking to um, not the not just the I am, but the where we sort of where we come from and where we have where we have been. So the great reveal of today's topic is uh, the great reveal of today's topic. Thank you for that is uh, race and relationships. Uh, so today we're going to be talking and exploring the why of race and relationships. Why are really, why are relationships important to the conversation on race and what is the role of race and relationships? We all have been watching and experiencing and uh, witnessing so much happening around us and people are engaging in different variations of conversations on race and racism and anti-racism and one of the fa- one of the key elements that we have been thinking about is sort of where do relationships come into the mix and why might they be important to these conversations actually getting even more authentically and deeply grounded um, so that we can actually think about carrying this work in the long this work in the long term uh, so I'll pause there and see if either of you have anything you would add to that broad strokes topic. Hmm. Um, one of the things that comes to mind to add uh, is that uh, we're in relationship one way or another. So mm-hmm. um, for me, I'm thinking about what does uh, a healthy relationship with integrity look like mm-hmm. uh, in in relation to race? Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens when we take on the societal scripts about how we're supposed to be in relationship? So that that came to mind. Mm. Yeah, that's a, the rigidity, rigidity sometimes that we put ourselves into. Um, and we had talked about the um, the race, the race towards having race dialogues in all mm. of our organizations, and how our colleagues of color are being inundated with requests to do diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and and our our Mm, I'm trying to think of the right word, but our the challenge of that is that the image that you came up with earlier, which I'd love you to share, um, Rankin A's, is that we're moving too fast and we're not moving with enough of a foundation mm. and that we could be doing more harm than help if we don't have this underlying foundation of relationship building as a cornerstone of that DEI work. Um, I think the Boulder visual would be very helpful if you're willing to share it. <laughs> I'm happy to. And actually, I'm thinking about, um, I think it's Adrienne Marie Brown who talks about moving at the speed of trust. And I I would add to that, like moving at the rate of relationships. Um, So the an image that I was sharing with Stacey and Barb earlier was actually based off of a conversation I had recently had with a a dear colleague of mine who is um, directing some multi multicultural education at a local institution. And she had shared how inundated she had been with phone calls for trainings and workshops and webinars as of late. And um, as she was talking, I was feeling the weight of all that she was holding. And I, and I reflected to her, you know, this, this image started to sort of come to mind around somebody who is like pushing this really heavy boulder up a hill. And I feel like so many folks who have been in the center of racial justice and equity work for 
for, for a very, very long time have been sort of pushing this boulder, talking about like, we need to be doing this work. And, and so many times have gotten the response of like, sure, like we'll get to it. No, it's not that important. You know, budget comes, budget cuts come around and the equity work is always the first to get cut because it's good to have, but quote unquote, not really that important. Right. And so this boulder is getting pushed up this hill. And then all of a sudden, um, we sort of see this turning point in our country happen in June and we see the murder of George Floyd and all of this, um, all of this uh, sort of unrest coming as a result of that in, in response to that. And, and then this boulder sort of tips over the hill and is now racing downwards. And now all the folks who were holding this work are like now holding it on their backs, trying to, to keep this boulder from crushing everything in its path because it's happening so quickly and oftentimes not thinking about, you know, doing anti-racism work is important, but doing it thoughtfully is more important and not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Because when we do it for the sake of doing it without thinking about, you know, do we have the right relationships in place to really see this through the long term, we run the risk of doing more harm than help. So that was the, um, and yet we still have the same folks who were doing the work before now holding the work in a different way, right? The weight is still there, but it's now being held in, in a different way, um, but, but nonetheless still being held. So that was the, the image that kind of came to mind. And I think part of, the, part of the segue into that conversation or part of the segue into today's conversation is like, you know, what are the relationships we need to have in place in order to be able to really engage in racial justice and um, anti, anti-racism work in our institutions as well as our personal, personal homes and families and um, friendships. Mm-hmm. Stacey, what's been your experience? You've been in academia for quite a while and um, also, you know, been asked to do a lot of DEI work and, and uh, what's your, what's your read on what's happening right now that we need to pay attention to? Mm. Um, there is so much happening uh, and nothing at the same time. Mm. Um, you know, we've been here before. And so what I liken this to is, um, you know, every time there's a school shooting, um, there are all of these like calls, like we must. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's Columbine, um, you know, all over the country, you know, these school shootings happen and, you know, Mm -hmm. we have to do something about gun control. Meanwhile, uh, you know, nothing really changes uh, in terms of gun laws. Um, and I liken what's going on with diversity, um, and I use that word intentionally because it, it's such a vacant word. Um, when I hear it, it just rings so hollow. Um, you know, the flattening of, of that word diversity is intentional, um, and that's why we don't see much growth or change uh, around any, um, any real uh, shift around this kind of equity diversity work. Um, Ishmael Reed calls it a changing same, actually. And he says mm-hmm. what you end up with, you know, you might get different players or you might uh, get a different murder or you might get uh, a different kind of catalytic moment, but, but there's, you know, there's, it's still the same thing. And so I'll back up and say, what I'm seeing, Barb, is um, a changing same again. Um, I don't think we've reached any kind of tipping point. Um, 
uh, I'm watching the same kind of behavior, you know, where, you know, folks are like, oh, wow, this is a thing. I didn't know this was a thing. Uh, and I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. Um, and that's a, that's, that's a bold place for me to, to sit because the script that's on my dark body is that I'm supposed to get ready to champion all of this diversity work and we can do it. And, you know, right now I, I'm even stopped at the word we. Who is we exactly? Um, you know, we are not in the same boat. We are not in the mm. same storm. Mm. Um, so even when people position things like, you know, we're in this together and we can do it. I'm like, hold on a second here. Let's just get clear with who the we is. So Barbara, I want to come back. Um, what I'm seeing in, in the world of, you know, schools, particularly my background is in uh, high school and college and, and I train teachers. Um, there's a deep resistance to any kind of transformative equity work. And the resistance is usually housed under a very specific rhetoric. Um, and the rhetoric often sounds like what we're hearing right now. We really need to do something. What should I do? Hold on a second here. We've had this conversation before. So um, where does my hope lie? You know, people will, you know, kind of, they'll follow up with that. Well, you know, are you, you know, like, do you have any hope? And, you know, when we go back to Ta-Nehisi Coates, I'm like, I have a tremendous amount of hope. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I have a hope in myself to be honest with what I'm seeing. When are you going to get honest with what's happening, you know, at the, at the individual level? Um, so for me right now, I'm looking at what's happening individually. I don't have a lot of faith in the organizations to enter into this with any kind of like institutional integrity. So that's why I'm looking at individuals, you know, how are we going to reconcile and how do we have relationships with each other? that I can trust the institutions mm -hmm. not so much right now thanks Stacey yeah. and I think that's actually a great segue into kind of diving into this notion of relationships and mm. what we where we are sitting in in our relationships as they relate to race, um, how have we come into relationships, how have we come into cross-racial relationships, and how are we seeing um, those conversations play out both in the professional and the personal spaces mm -hmm. that we reside? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm just... Uh... I'm delighted that you named it, it Stacy, because I um, oh. also feel pretty helpless, hopeless about the the institutional level. Um, but and I but I am seeing shifts in in my white friends and colleagues mm -hmm. that I have never seen before. So that's hopeful. Good. Um, I chatter also a little bit. And I, my white superiority says, oh, I'm so much better than you. <laughs> but no, I, I realize, you know, uh, as I speak with um, my friends and I, I said earlier in an earlier podcast, you know, we, we haven't had to have conversations about race, unlike, you know, black people, indigenous people, brown people, people of color. We haven't had to have that. We've been able to get by without them. But we are having them now, and that is 
that is hopeful and our relationships are changing and my own relationship to myself is changing as I think about my own race. What, what does it mean to be white? Um, I've never had to think about that as deeply as I have lately. So. so Barbara, I have a question because, and I hear this a lot, you know, we, I hear white people say things like we've never had to talk about race. And I'm, for me, I'm wondering, you know, is there more to that question? We've never had to talk about race explicitly um, because I actually observe a ton of communication about race between white people where they're not even saying anything, just their actions and their collective actions, which to me is also communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the English teacher in me. Um, I watch white people communicate about race and they give each other like deep racialized language all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I, I believe fully that to be true is that most white people will not confront each other about race because I'm actually convinced white people are more afraid of being punished by white people for breaking the white racial code than they are afraid of people of color. Mm. So my question is how did white people become afraid of each other? Oh, <laughs> oh, they're in a racialized conversation and it's all unspoken. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'm watching this thing And that's why when I hear that, like, oh, we don't talk about race. I'm like, yes, y'all do. You Mm. talk about it when it's time to, not you, Barbara, and your friends. (laughs) No, me. No, (laughs) you know, but, you know, we talk about where to move. We talk about what school to go to. We talk Mm -hmm. about, you know, white people talk about where they're going to vacation. They talk about stock investments. Um, they talk about a lot of things uh, with this racial subterfuge, like just running right alongside the rest of the conversation. Mm. It's like they're in, they're in like total, they're in dialect all the time about race. Yeah. So that's what so, I love about you, Stacy. Decision <laughs> uh-huh. with language is so beautiful. Um, thank you. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, we're just, we're swimming in it. Right. On, in these channels, you know, the white right. supremacist channels. It's like, I, I'm on channel four. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, you guys in channel six, you don't get to really be part of this channel four conversation, you know. Right. Patch me in. Bring me into that channel. Yeah. Because we watch white people, like, secure money. They secure resources. They secure opportunity. They secure momentum. And, like, pass that to one another like seamlessly that's all a racialized exchange Mm. so you know for me you know when I think about you know when people are like well what do you think needs to happen and I I just don't even answer those questions um I don't you know part of it though is like let's stop talking about diversity and equity work which, you know, is, is going against what this podcast is. <laughs> but, but I'm so not interested in that. And mind you, I do it really well. That's, yeah. that's the irony of this. I'm, I'm very, very good. I'm masterful at uh, equity consultation. But I'm so not interested in, in sitting in that part. I'm far more about this other thing that is wildly at play. Mm this unspoken norm that is highly activated. I mean, white people know not to step out of 
that role or step out of those rules. So how did that happen? Because that has nothing to do with people of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're hitting some nerves here. <laughs> Thank you. <It's> so good. <laughs> I've had so many of these, like, you know, conflict, conflicts with my white people. Mm. Yeah. Rangane, what's going on inside of your head? I'm I'm sitting with this this beautifully rich question of like how does that you know like how does that come to be right like how how do you come into a place where you're because I, I think that fear is definitely very real of like being ostracized from your own group your own like racial identity group mm-hmm. um, and within that being able to not think about um, how the conversations about all those different arenas of life that you just shared, Stacey, are about race. Like that is a conversation about race. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we only think about, we only think about conversations on race oftentimes when it, like that it must somehow include people of color because that's the only way it's really about race when that's right. not really accurate, right? Mm-hmm because we've all been racialized mm-hmm. and there's not an exemption from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's kind of what, what's coming up for me and, and just that deeply rich question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the other piece I'm thinking too about is that it's, it's those exactly deep, rich questions mm-hmm. that I think have to be engaged if we are really doing the quote unquote work. Mm -hmm. Like if we are really going to say we are going to be an anti-racist institution Mm -hmm. that starts with the ground level people, right? Like Mm -hmm. that institutions are upheld by people. They don't exist in vacuum. And are Mm -hmm. we willing to have those conversations? Right. Because in the absence of that, Mm -hmm. how does, how, how do we, how do we really authentically embody anti-racist policies? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. I'm, that's, the key, that's the question I'm sort of sitting with mm-hmm. and wondering, you know, is, is there a deeper commitment? Because it's, it's not about attending five meetings, clocking out at five, and now you're done, right? Like, right. this is deeply personal work. Right. This is deeply personal work. Mm. And, and Rangane and I always try, uh, Stacey, to kind of bring it back to the field of facilitation. Um, yes. But I was, and I don't know whether this question will resonate with you, but you were saying earlier, um, I am excited. I'm not excited about what's happening at the institutional level because it right. changes as, uh, what do you say, change and same again. Mm. Um, but you, you, I think we're excited a little bit about individual relationships and I'm wondering if there's a tie-in with process facilitation that we as facilitators can help mm. build somehow uh, I, I use the word stealth facilitate or okay. subterranean you know because you have to kind of bypass the system mm. and is there some way that mm-hmm. you found to be effective uh, in working with individuals within the organization to build those relationships um, using process facilitation or even the technology participation skills that you mm. trained in? Yes. Um, I love this question because the process and the content um, are, are in their own relationship. And so 
you know, when you asked about facilitation, you know, to be fully transparent with you, those questions, Rangane, that you were saying, those deeper questions, when I pose those to clients, I lose clients. So I literally will lose money. Uh, mm-hmm. If I go into DEI, when I do, this is part of the reason why I don't do as much of it, uh, because of Barbara, your question, I'm asking people not just to be uh, present to the content, but present to the collective process. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so here's our RA and EA, um, but also um, I make room for them to go into process with themselves. So I, I have prompts built in where they actually are not sharing with anyone, um, and I'm asking them to do some very specific check-ins with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's built in as part of the collective. So we're, you know, we're a group of 12 and we're, we're trying to work on this you know, mission statement as we're working on this mission statement, we're also working on what's happening inside of us about how we're feeling about this mission statement. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the ways that I try to build that in. Um, and I also uh, love to use um, uh, anonymous reflection at the end, um, sometimes handwritten, uh, sometimes uh, you know, posted into uh, a document, a shared document as well. Um, that's that's what I found. I'm looking for other ways to do that. How do you? How do the both of you do that in the process as well with facilitation? Thank mm-hmm. you. Well, it's it's interesting. Um, I'll say that you know, in my in my practice as of late, I've I've been becoming more and more interested in the focus on relationships because I I really think I was actually thinking about about it this morning when I when I was waking up. I'm like if I had to kind of prioritize um, and I can see where I would lose clients for this too. Right. It's like, I think about people first, then process, then product mm-hmm. in that order. Right. And that's where, where my energy wants to reside because if, if we're not building those, if we're not creating spaces in which people can really come into conversation and relationships with one, with one another, I'm not sure what we're really doing here or how, how sustainable whatever we produce will ultimately be when it gets really hard. Because when things get really hard, mm-hmm. relationships, real relationships are the ones that will really see you through. And right. that's really like test the strength of the containers that we create as facilitators or that we attempt to create as facilitators, right? Like how strong is that container when it's really put to the test and the containers are a function of the relationships, right? So I think it's, um, I personally have been using a lot of circle-based methodology as a way to create space for people to come in together, to come into conversation with one another, um, very personal prompts around um, not just, you know, what's just something that is going well in your life, but how are you arriving as a, as a whole human today? And that's the question I'm now asking at the start of almost every meeting is like, how are you arriving? Because let's do a human check-in before we dive into this agenda that may feel incredibly impersonal if you just lost a loved one, or if you have, you know, you were at a protest all day and you're exhausted um, or, you know, wherever you're coming from, like, let's, let's slow down enough to have a human to human moment um, and start this conversation off from a different place. Mm. It's beautiful. Um, the word sacred comes to mind. It's like, how do we create the sacred space? Because um, the, work, the work really is so sacred. There's been so much harm and damage done. Um, white people have been deeply damaged um, by our own white supremacist system. And 
And then obviously our ability to be oppressors is phenomenal. And so we pass on the damage that we've done to ourselves. And, and so I think the, how to, uh, when we're going to have a future episode on healing, but how do we heal ourselves and heal others? And the most, um, the tool that Nancy Luna Jimenez um, of uh, Elgist Luna Jimenez um, Institute for uh, Social Transformation, I think, or um, she and I, uh, Rangane and I worked for both for Nancy and she taught us this tool called constructivist listening. And it's basically where you get people in pairs and they share in a confidential way or triads or small groups. Every person gets to listen to the others. Um, not, no interruptions, just l- let the speaker have their own best thinking out loud without being referred to ever again. So it's completely confidential. You don't get to refer to it in any sense, um, but that, Sharing life stories is a beautiful way to build relationship. Um, sharing, so how has white supremacy impacted you today? <laughs> you know, share, share provocative questions if you want and let people just kind of rant and rave with their, their listener who is completely accepting of whatever is going on for them. And you have to teach people how to be um, non-judgmental about what they're hearing and not triggered by what they're hearing. That, that ability to listen to each other with so little judgment, but absolute curiosity and compassion and interest, I think, is, is part of our work as facilitators in healing our racial, um, our racial trauma, traumatization. Hmm. So any last thoughts before we leave our audience with a question, since we said we would try to keep it to 30 minutes today? <laughs> We haven't even started. Oh, I, know, I know, exactly my thought. Hard. We're just getting started. <laughs> I know, which is, which is for me, um, I'm, I'm glad, you know. So we have this kind of like artificial time that's telling us to stop, okay? Mm. Um, but the spirit is, uh, you know, knows no time. Mm. And what, you know, my question is, you know, when will folks realize this is a spirit wound? Um, you know, being nice enough is not going to stop this thing from happening. Being smart enough is not going to stop this thing from running amok. Um, that's my question right now that's coming up. Um, some folks are walking with a deep, deep spirit wound with this, this kind of racist belief, and only they can excavate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's at stake if they excavate this thing? Um, you know, they may be surprised to find out who they are if they can excavate uh, this, this spirit mm. Mm. yeah I will be sitting with that question as well that is uh, mm. yet another deeply rich question so we leave our audience with that what's, yes I don't think what's we, your um, spirit wound <laughs> how are you going to excavate it <laughs> yeah yeah and for me I'm posing that to white people mm-hmm. like this yeah. is a wild spirit wound uh, go to it Take care of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take mm-hmm. care of it. It's all right if it's taken care of. Yeah. Just, um, I'm imagining a world without that white race spirit wound. Mm. Could be pretty. Right? So plush. Such a gorgeous, so, yeah. full bodied, oh rich world, you know? Yeah. Mm. And, and for all the people of color who've also communed with that spirit wound, too, there's some work to be done. Yeah. But we're going to be all right. 
we'll be all right. And, you know, if you will have me back, I would love to come back. Oh, to the fabulous Miss Stacy Gibson. It's we are to play with y'all. Um, we are indebted to your wisdom. Playing. Yeah, definitely. Um, more to come, more to come on this. And, and thank you also Stacy and, and Rangane for, uh, um, trusting, uh, bringing in Stacy without knowing her and, Thank you. <laughs> this was exactly as it needed to be. Yes. And uh, all in divine timing. Yes. I all agree. right. So goodbye. We will see you sometime. You'll hear us sometime in the future. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we look yes, forward to reconnecting. World podcast everyone. season two is coming, right. uh, flying, <laughs> flying through right. unpredictable courage. ways. Yeah. Courage, courage and ease. Courage mm-hmm. and ease. Thank you all for tuning in. And thank Thank you all for your sharing your brilliance with us today. Thank you.